We have a, a little uh, dog, a little rescue dog. His name is Wiley. Uh, soaking wet, he probably weighs 14, 15 pounds. Uh, Letha's had him trained as a therapy dog. Uh, so he goes to hospice places a couple times a week to visit uh, patients. And uh, he, he's, a, he's a gentle little dog. And he just lets the, the patients pet him and pet him. Very kind, very uh, uh, able to just bring them some joy and some calm. So he's, he's, a, he's a, a great little dog. And we also have a neighbor who has a little chihuahua, and she goes to work pretty early. So we usually walk uh, Wiley, and the chihuahua's name is Gucci, uh, every morning pretty uh, fairly early along the canal near our house. So Wiley and Gucci together, uh, you know, they're, they're 20 pounds maybe. And on the canal, we, we often encounter uh, big dogs. And uh, because it's, you know, it's a place where people walk their dogs. And uh, some mornings, um, there's regular dogs that, that walk there. But one morning in particular, uh, there were dogs I hadn't seen before. And, and a woman had two Dalmatians. And uh, um, so as, as we come up to the dogs, as I said, both of these little dogs are gentle little dogs. They couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag probably. But when they see big dogs, they start barking and yelling, come on, I can take you on. You don't look so big, you know. I'm just thankful for leash laws <laughs> on those mornings when the little dogs are, uh, are encountering, and especially that morning with those, those Dalmatians. And uh, what, what I did that morning, I just I, there's a bunch of rocks on the side of the canal, just got them as far away as I could because uh, I knew better they can't take on those big dogs. Now, what's one of our favorite stories in the Bible? It's the story of David and Goliath. And uh, if you grow up in church in Sunday school, you hear that story early on in your life. And uh, it's a very popular story. It's a story we love because, you know, it's the little guy taking on the big guy, and he wins. Now, there's more to that story, but I, I want to start with that story this morning because it's, it's not only familiar, but it's, it's got some great and amazing truths about the Christian life. Um, David, when uh, he encounters Goliath, is, is a young guy at the time. He's a shepherd, and he's uh, the youngest of four brothers in his family, and he's, he's the smallest of the four, the least likely to be a, a, a warrior-type personality, at least at that point in his life. And so David um, uh, is, is a young shepherd, and uh, at the time when Goliath uh, and he encounters Goliath. The Philistines are, are the ruling army. They, uh, they intimidate the Israelites at the time. They, they are always uh, threatening to conquer them. And so the Philistines were represented primarily by Goliath. Now, we know the story. Goliath is a giant. Um, as I researched on this, it says Goliath could have been about nine feet tall. Nine feet tall. Now, Basketball players are, are really tall if they're seven feet. So think nine feet, that's two, two feet higher. And, and Goliath would just intimidate the Israelites. It says he roamed around tormenting them day after day and uh, yelling at them. And, and he had a javelin and a, a sword. And he, he, was, he was a fierce-looking giant. And nobody would take him on. And so there's, there's uh, Goliath taunting. And... Um, David appears on the scene. Now, he's a shepherd. David later became the king of Israel. This is before he had any prominence. 
He was, as I said, the youngest of four, the smallest, and didn't have any cachet about him as far as conquering anything. So when, when he sees Goliath and he hears what he's saying, he hadn't seen him before, what does David say? He's like, Wiley, come on, I can take you on. He got his, his confidence and readiness to take him on. And Saul, who's the leader of the Israelite army, says to, to David, uh, you're, you're way off. You can't take on this guy. He's nine feet tall. He's tormented us for a long time. David, what are you even thinking? You're a small little shepherd boy. Stay in your lane. Well, David doesn't stay in his lane. Now, what David had been, as I said, was a shepherd. Now, as a shepherd, he uh, was out uh, with the sheep uh, night after night, and uh, there were times when animals would come to attack the, uh, the sheep, and uh, there's a passage, this is all found in 1 Samuel 17, I'm not going to read it, because uh, it's, uh, we're going to read another passage for the, the, the story of today, but what, what David had learned was to fend off lions and bears and animals that would actually attack the sheep, and there's a verse that says in 1 Samuel 17 that he, he uh, not only learned how to do that and protect them, but he did it with the help of God. He always called on God's name and says, Lord, I need you as a shepherd boy. So he had trained himself in courage by taking on smaller things. And what he found out was he had confidence and courage at this point to even take on something as big as this giant Goliath. So we know that story. Now, Goliath had uh, now, he wasn't only nine feet tall, he had armor that weighed 125 pounds. His armor alone weighed 125 pounds, which was probably twice what David weighed. I don't know at the time. But it, it, he, he just was a big old giant. He had big old armor. And so Saul says, okay, you're convinced you're going to go after this guy. God be with you. But here, put on my armor. So Saul uh, offers David his armor and says, wear this. Now it says Saul, the Bible tells us Saul was a, was a head taller than others at, uh, at the time himself. So that would have made him somewhere between six and seven feet tall. So Saul had this uh, uh, armor that was for a big guy. And uh, David tries it on and, he, and he, he feels clunky and he says, I can't do this. It's not a good fit. I have to go after him with what, what I have to offer. And, and, and so he, he takes off. Saul's armor, and he picks up five smooth stones off of the ground. That was what he had to go against Goliath. Now, again, most of you probably know this story. He only needs one. And when Goliath comes at him with all of his armor and all of his might and all of his size, David, who must have had a good aim, flings the stone and hits him between the eyes and kills him. He's dead. With one little stone, he kills Goliath, the giant. You know, we love that story. Because not only uh, it's the little guy against the big guy, but it shows the courage and confidence that David had. Now, did David, David have that at the time because he was, uh, he was so physically imposing? No. His confidence, his courage came because he believed God was with him to do what he needed to do, and he didn't want to see Goliath tormenting the Israelites anymore. He believed in his heart that that, was, that needed to be dealt with. 
So God gave him not only the courage to do it, but what fit for him to do it, even though he was small and young. Now, this story propels David then, of course, into leadership. And as we know, David later became the king of Israel. But the point I wanted to make with that story is primarily Saul wanted him to use what, what, what he had, his armor. But in order to conquer, David had to use what fit him. And all he had was five little stones. You know, there's, there's lots of stories in the Bible like that. The five loaves and two fish fed 5,000 people. What, what we have to learn is God takes us as we are with the resources we have and says, fit these and then I will be with you and you will see what can happen when I am with you. But we have to do what fits us. I've called upon a verse oftentimes in life and in ministry, 1 John 4, 4. Uh, you are from God and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, that verse tells us this. Uh, the, 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 uh, the forces against us, the giants in our lives, so often seem so unconquerable that we just don't have what it takes to face them or to meet them. And we may not face a nine-foot warrior, but every one of us has giants coming at us. It might be health. It might be finances. It might be relationships. It might be things we can't control that are going on around us. It might be evil stuff that actually is coming at us. We all have giants. That little verse says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That is, that is the belief that David had. You know, I'm, I'm just little David, but I have a big God. Now, I've been living that and teaching that for, for years. But every day I have to be reminded of it myself, particularly when some new giant seems to come along and intimidate or threaten all the kinds of things that can happen as we live this life. So it's important to understand this, and I, and I, I, I share all this to begin with because the church in the world is, is kind of like David and Goliath. Uh, the, the, the world that we live in, we see every day, uh, is far away from, from God, from godly principles. The things that people do, the, the way that people live, the kinds of things that happen in our world. And, and, and the church, and I'm talking about the big C church in the world, often seems helpless against it. But as we look at these chapters in Ephesians this morning, again, that have to deal with the church, God has fit the church in this world, the way it is. Because the weapons of our warfare, as the Bible tells us, are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. We don't conquer because of who we are or even what resources we have. We conquer because of how God fits 
what we have into his bigger picture of his work around us. And we're going to look at that this morning in a passage from Ephesians. Again, we're kind of working through Ephesians on these messages. And it's chapter 3, starting with verse 7. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God The creator of all things has kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm going to go down to verse 20 and 21. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, when, when Jesus came into the world, the angels announced to the shepherds his coming and said, um, I bring you good tidings of of great joy, good news for all people for all time. That was the announcement of the angels. I'm bringing good news, the good news of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He will save his people from their sins. It's It's the announcement of the coming of Christ our Savior. Good news is the way the angel puts it. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. It's the news of a Savior who has come not only to forgive us, but to give us a gift of eternal life. That is the sole and primary reason why the church exists, to be messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, that's what we are about. We serve a risen Savior who has conquered death and the grave and sin And when he has come into our life and we personally experience that, then we have a story to tell that is good news to others. That's what the church is all about. Now, Paul is the writer of this book, among the others in the New Testament. They are all letters to churches that Paul himself planted. Now, Paul, when he came to Christ... Uh, in, in a very dramatic way, from that time on, he felt a call, and it was his mission and ministry to bring the good news of Christ to people who have never heard it before. So he spent the remainder of his life traveling all over the world uh, at that day, the, known, the then known world, and he established at least 14 churches, many that are found here in the New Testament. All of those are found in the New Testament. And the Ephesian church was one of them. So in this particular letter, he's writing to the Ephesian church. And he says, as I read in the first parts of the verses, by God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. And then he says, I'm the least deserving of all God's people to do it. 
but he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Twice he uses the word privilege. Now, I felt the call to ministry about 50 years ago, and uh, God has been faithful through the years. I've never counted it a right or uh, uh, that, that I, I have uh, all the tools that I need to, to spread the good news. But God called me, and I believe it's a privilege, always have believed it's a privilege. Every time I get an opportunity to serve the Lord under his call, and I, I try to be sensitive to that always, I want to have that attitude that it's a privilege to serve our Lord. Paul had a very high view of the church. That's why he said, I I, I counted a privilege to serve the church. It's God's church. It's not my church. It's a privilege. He had a high view of it. And he had a, a very humble view of who he was to be able to serve it. Now, I believe that even in David's courage and confidence, is what he understood himself. There was a humility about his confidence that it wasn't him who could defeat defeat Goliath, but if God would work through him, he would fit him to do what he needed to do. That's what it means to share the good news. So, a few things about this passage. First, in those first few verses that we read, what it means to be good news, a good fit. First, we have to be a good news person, a good news person. Uh, The gospel is good news. Now, it's not good news to everyone around us because good news means you need saving. You need a savior. And, And it starts with understanding that we cannot save ourselves. And and what we all have within our spirit is we want to be self-sufficient. We don't really want to be saved, so to speak. Now, once we understand it and, and we are drawn to Jesus as Savior, then we can understand what it means to follow Christ. But until that time, that, that seems foreign. But that's... That's good news, but it's not always good news until it's understood. So the job of the church is to be messengers of this good news in a way that allows others to be drawn to our Savior. So that means being a good news person. It starts with what's inside of us. Our our, our character and our our conduct and our words and our actions and our our, our way of, of being, making the gospel, the good news of Christ, something that people see a difference about our lives. Uh, Early in our our marriage, um, we were seminary students. Leith and I were part of the the seminary, uh, did a a weekend marriage retreat because all of us, for the most part, were young couples getting ready to go into ministry. They wanted to prepare us in a lot of ways, and so they had this this retreat that we we attended. And it was to kind of get under the surface to to help us see some things about our lives and our marriage to improve our relationship. So one of the exercises was, uh, are you fun to live with? That was the name of the exercise. And they they laid it out a bit. and, um, And then asked us, we all had sheets of paper. At the top it said, you would be more fun to live with if... 
and then we were each to write a list. You'd be more fun to live with if. Now, I thought, you know, someone as lovable as me, Neetha wouldn't have any, any list, but lo and behold, she had a list. Several things. No, I did too. And, and we, had, we, we shared those with each other. That was part of the whole thing. And, and the thing, that the stage was set. You have to be a little vulnerable to do something like that. But, but it was in the context of we all were in similar circumstances going into ministry. We knew we needed the strength of God in our lives and in our families. And, and we knew we loved each other. So when you, you share with someone you love, even if it's hard stuff to hear, you understand it and accept it. But it made me aware, you know, there's some, there's some things about me that, that aren't always fun to be around. Now, I, I say that to say, to be, to be good news people starts really within us. Now, we're all human. We all have ways we are. God doesn't change our personalities when we become Christians. But he does take what we have and says, if you'll allow me to reshape your life and, and work on your character and become more consistent about who I am in your life with how you live, then I'll bless that. Paul, Paul understood that outside of Christ, that's why I was so humble about serving. He said, you know, I'm, I'm really not fit, but God has made me fit. None of us are fit to, to be good news people to others, but God makes us fit if we'll open our lives to what it is he wants us to be. Then Paul goes on and says some words about the church. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, Paul, again, is talking about the church in general, but uh, in, in God's plan, the fit to, to win people to Christ was the church. He left the church to do the work of the good news, to be the messengers of the good news. So we have to do that individually, and then the church does it corporately. It starts with a love for Christ and a love for one another and a love for others that are, that are outside the life of the church. All we really have to offer is the love of God in Christ Jesus to a hurting and broken world. Now that happens in a lot of ways and there's no one formula on how to do it or, or who we're going to reach, but, but it takes all kinds of, of churches. It takes all kinds of people to reach all kinds of of people, we live in a in a in a world where people have all kinds of different needs and concerns, and and there's room for everyone if we make room for everyone. So I, I share a little illustration about this, and I've shared it before here when I was a guest speaker sometime, and maybe some of you have seen it, but do it again because it kind of illustrates this in a, in a way that I think is effective. So I, I talked to a few of you about coming up here, so. Those of you I've talked to, if you would come and just kind of stand here for a moment. And let's see, one, two, three, four. 
Sarah, would you mind joining the circle too here? Okay. And, and just make a circle and join hands if you would, okay? Thank you. And then Letha, if you would come and, and just stand there. Now, uh, let's say this circle represents the church. And uh, I ask them to make a circle and join hands. Which way are they facing? Inward, because that's, that's our natural inclination, isn't it? To kind of to be a group, to kind of be together. And we're looking at each other. And uh, just like, are you fun to live with? After a while, we fuss at one another when we're just looking at each other in the circle because eh, we're just looking at each other, hanging out. And Letha here represents the people outside the church, the strays, so to speak. You're a stray. <laughs> now, that's all kinds of, of, of people who don't know anything about this circle, or maybe they've heard something, or they don't like something, or they got disgruntled over something, or any number of things happen. But for whatever reason, there's people who are lost in their own life, in their own ways, and, and they're hurting, and, and, and they need kind of the attention, the involvement of someone in their life who can somehow let them see the good news of the gospel. Now, there's another way to make a circle. So if you guys would... Stay up here, and I'll just turn outward, and I'll join your hands again. How many of you were here when I did this before? Anybody else? A few of you, so you remember it. What's the difference in this circle? They're not looking at each other. They're looking outside. When, when we're looking in at each other, we don't see what's going on out there, so to speak. This way you got six different perspectives looking out in different ways, and maybe this poor little stray here will be found by one of these folks. You get the, get the picture. Thank you very much. Give them a hand for participating. Um, now, that any illustration has its limits, but... The difference is we always have to find ways in our heart to be aware and, 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 and look for ways to be involved in the lives of people. Usually it takes a lot of time to reach Letha. <laughs> you know, she can be stubborn, she can be this and that. That's why I put her there so I can say whatever I want to say about her. Uh, they don't just come. They don't just come because the doors are open. They come because there's somebody who cares. There's a story I love in the New Testament. It's the, the last of the points here. To bring the good news in God's power. Because it says in verse 20 and 21, Now all be the glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. Um, we bring the good news not because we're such great people. We bring the good news in God's power because he works within us to care enough to do some things that touch lives. The story in Mark chapter 2, verse 2 through 12 uh, four men have a man on a stretcher who's paralyzed. 
And, and Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and there's a great crowd at the synagogue. They're out the doors, in fact, because they were intrigued by this prophet who healed people, and they, they were still learning about who this Jesus was. And so these guys had it in their heart to get this paralyzed man to Jesus because they knew he could heal him. So as they come to the synagogue, they see this crowd of people and they don't know what to do. They've got the guy in a stretcher, one on each corner, and the story tells us that they got him somehow on the roof of the synagogue. They cut a hole in the roof and they let him down in the middle of the service to bring him to Jesus. Now think about that for a minute. If all of a sudden we would hear a saw or something, what would we think? What's going on? But these guys had such a belief in the power of Jesus that they, they were willing to not only bring him, but when they saw the crowd, they said, oh, you know, this isn't going to work. It's too many people. Let's just go home. You see, caring involvement takes, takes a, 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 an ability within you to say, We've got to still do something to meet those needs. Um, that, that only happens because there's something within us that believes it. Uh, I love the term Adonis uses every Sunday. This is fertile ground. Now, it's hard to think sometimes that the desert is fertile ground. <laughs> We don't grow a lot of stuff. But what happens in fertile ground if you don't do anything to it? When it rains, what springs up? Weeds. They're all over the place now. We had those rains a few weeks ago. There's weeds everywhere. Fertile ground bears fruit when it's cultivated and taken care of and you can grow crops on it, but fertile ground isn't going to just grow something by itself. What it'll grow is weeds. Ground left to itself will only produce weeds, chaff, dirt. That's the world we live in. It's people who are out there. They're on different ground in their life, different lifestyles. But they only become fertile for Christ when there's four guys taking stretchers and believe so deeply about what it means to know Christ that they they brought him. All, all we are as God's people are stretchers. We're, we're the vehicles. That, that's my, my heart, my, the best I know to say. Whatever we do are stretchers. So these messages are about what it means to be the church, to be good news. We have to be good news people, good news church, and we have to be good news in God's power because that's all we got. Church has never had the, the weapons of the world, 
where all we see every day is money and power and abuse and all of those things. Trying to tackle that seems like Goliath, always does. We don't tackle the whole thing. We tackle it one person at a time. Sarah is very careful to remind us every Sunday at the end of the service. We are one community. What we do is find ones. That's what the church does. And in finding ones, you never know what God is going to do. So we have to keep stretching. There's a fit. We, uh, we have five little stones, but God only needed one to kill Goliath. That's our power. It's not going to be in our effort. It's going to be because his hand and his help leads us.